War in Ukraine, COVID, the Biden presidency, and the elections. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. Folks, remember, for all your tree service, well, you want to call Yankee Tree. Call them today, 401 439-6028 439-6028 Yankee Tree Service YankeeTreeService.com What can they do? They do it all. Tree trimming Experts based right in Lincoln Tree removal since 2006 and also 24-7 emergency service available. Call Yankee Tree Service today 439-6028 439-6028 Whether it's tree removal stump grinding, tree pruning emergency service bucket truck at service and bobcat service since 2006 they've been performing tree removal service on top of that nothing stumps yankee tree service they provide stump grinding enjoy your landscape without the eyesore as far as pruning well let them get up there oftentimes a tree can be pruned instead of cutting it down at yankee tree service their licensed arbiters help you decide what's best the treatment plan for your tree and maybe it's an emergency service did something come down call them today 439-6028 439-6028 if they have to they get right up there in the bucket yankee tree service since 2006 tree trimming experts give them a call 439-6028 or online at yankeetreeservice.com you're listening to the John DePietro Show, folks. Weekdays, we start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dipietro.com. It's Thursday, October 20th. Sunny Thursday, as a matter of fact. Chilly, though. My goodness, it was cold last night. Well, folks, here we go. We are in, uh, let's just look at the calendar. First of all, there are big things overseas. That is um, amazing, that prime minister. You, you heard about it in the top of the hour in the news i'll let them cover it but she has resigned 44 days as prime minister so um a lot of turmoil right now manhattan covid rates top 20 percent as the virus is rebounding it hasn't gone away and i know no one wants to talk about it there are still people that are going to end up in the hospital there are people still getting it lieutenant governor had it i have a feeling something tells me that governor mckee's going to have covid coming down soon but it is thursday the 20th now early voting is underway next week is october 24th then you have halloween is the monday after that and then it's the final full week of the campaign and then uh the eighth tuesday the eighth is election day now a couple things to watch there's a huge labor gathering this saturday roger williams park they're going to start to pull, try to pull out all the stops to save that congressional seat from the hands of alan funk so this is a real battle <clears throat> seth magaziner feeling the heat i believe they have one debate left i think one tv debate left one tv debate left it is going to be uh with um on channel 10 i believe so anyhow but folks in terms of the governor's race now governor mckee he is slowing things down as i had said he's not doing as many appearances when he does an appearance he you know is trying to keep it positive keep it upbeat so to speak and but here we go again with the the education now channel 12 broke the story and it's good reporting i know the mckee people are upset with channel 12 but what i'm seeing is public records requests and then it just happens to be good reporting but what we're finding is and it this has become it's not the matter of the importance of the test scores and i'm not saying the test scores aren't important but what this is about is how governor mckee's handling bad information you know with it with as the public the taxpayers the voters we have a right to know when there's be treated as adults you have a right to be treated as an adult and it's it's not it shouldn't be the option of whoever's in charge to decide what information we get and what information that we don't get and so this is a self-inflicted wound that they started where these test scores rhode island department of education test scores are are out as a matter of fact the state received them the day before the democrat primary and the mckee people trying to shield themselves from bad press 
took the approach that they didn't have them. So much that then they said they'd be delayed until after the November election. And then Governor McKee stood on the Channel 12 debate stage and said, I don't have them. Then he was saying, when, when the Department of Education, the Education Commissioner was saying, well, we, we got it, but we don't have enough people to you know, put all the information together so we can get it out. Governor McKee said, well, if they needed help, they should have asked me for help. Well, now Channel 12 has learned that the governor actually denied their request for this data analyst. So this is, make no mistake about it, it's not a matter of whether or not the, the, the test scores are important. What's a, what, what is truly at the crux of this is how he's handling it, how they tried to get cute, say we, we can't release them till after the election by design. He also didn't release them the day before the primary. I think he would have lost that primary to Helena folks. And then to stand there and say, well, we don't have them. And then we learn they have had them. So this story has evolved, and none of it looks good for Governor McKee. And maybe that's one of the reasons he knew it was going to come out this week. He's been really laying low. And Channel 12, to their credit, they continue to uncover new aspects of this. So the latest is, for Governor McKee, if they needed help, they should have asked. Well, they did help. They did ask for help, and he denied their request. This is the Channel 12 story on Governor McKee. That if the Rhode Island Department of Education asked for help processing the RICAS standardized test data, he would provide it. But we're now learning McKee denied a request from RIDE for that help last year. New at 6, Target 12 investigator Tolly Taylor joins us now with a follow-up. Last year, Education Commissioner Angelica Infante-Green wrote to Governor McKee asking for four new jobs, including a person to help analyze the RICAS scores. But that analyst job never made it into the budget. On Monday, Governor Dan McKee said this in response to Infante-Green's comments in a radio interview that the Education Department only has one data analyst compiling the RICAS scores before the release to the public. If RIDE needs a, a additional help and they can't do it internally, then they, if they called us, then we would certainly uh, try to help them out. But Target 12 has learned Infante-Green wrote to McKee in September of last year, asking the governor to include one statistical analyst in his budget proposal, a position that would provide analysis of the standardized test results. Results. Infante Green's letter cited the pandemic's effect on education, saying critical points of our operation would be improved with four new positions at the Education Department. McKee included two of the commissioner's requested jobs in his budget proposal, but left out the statistical analyst. The General Assembly did not approve any of the new jobs. I have said publicly that I, I'm not, I want those numbers to come out. Asked today why he didn't include the commissioner's request, McKee changed the subject, defending the current timeline to release the results. And I believe and I trust that the commissioner is on the same path as he was last year, a 60-day time frame, sometime in the middle of November. That data points will become available. Lou De Palma, chair of the Senate Oversight Committee, said Monday, Rhode Island is taking too long to release the results from a test students took in the spring. There should be a little bit more of an urgency to say, how do we get this into the teacher's hands? A spokesperson for Governor McKee says when the governor claimed on Monday he hadn't received a request from Infante Green for another data analyst, he meant Ride hasn't asked for, quote, short-term emergency support to get the scores out faster. With the Target 12 investigators, I'm Tolly Taylor, 12 News. All right, so a couple things involved with that, folks, just so you understand. What, what we have here is obviously the education commissioner doesn't like that the governor threw her under the bus. Uh, I reason to believe someone at Ride is feeding this info to channel 12 and i don't i don't blame her by the way that he you know as i've said we have seen a pattern now there's two different types of people that work for governor mckee there are those that have been thrown under the bus and then those who will be thrown under the bus uh this whole thing is preposterous he's the one playing politics he's the one the governor saying he doesn't want to release the information till after the election but the clock is ticking Ashley Kalis, they have to ask themselves, are they really gaining ground? Are they having a good week? Folks, what we're seeing, this is just a continued pattern of half-truths. When the governor says something, when he says, I don't have, you know, blah, 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 ABC, what he means, and he tries to say, what he means is he doesn't physically have them on him. It doesn't mean, <clears throat> it doesn't mean in fact, that um, that they didn't receive them. Now, look at the way he says, well, she should have asked for this emergency temporary. Well, you know, they don't know all the inner workings of that. You know what? It's also so egregious. And I want you to understand this. 
There were so many jobs, political jobs, they give at that Rhode Island State House. And this is a job with consequence. This is a job that is actually needed. Someone that can process that information. Or maybe you explain to them, listen, you don't need a full-time position. We can set up some emergency temporary people that we could be prepared to hire and then get this information out. But it, it really rings hollow when you have someone who claims they're the, quote, educate If they're the education governor, then we got real problems here. Um, I mean, that that is... That is just ridiculous because the education system uh, and, and, and but look at what's going to happen. OK, let's just say this. The scores come out. They're saying now they're going to put them out until after the election. Well, of course, they're going to be poor. If they were good, they'd release them. But it's going to be like, oh, well, too late. Governor McKee sees the finish line. Something needs to happen to really make people take a look at this race and say, do we really want to go into this? for the next four years folks he gets power for four years all bets are off and we already see some people that are that are you know he's winking at that are circling the campaign i would predict tony silva emerges back in the picture whether that's good or bad but i believe that he'll come back in some capacity and governor mckee will say what what do i care maybe i only want to do one one term as governor uh i think in in reward some friends I think Pork Boy gets gets the call. Again, would there be people be upset? Yes. What are they going to do about it? Nothing. He's a governor that just got four years. So I think the public has to decide, do they want to have someone who's the governor? You know, you, you can say what you want about Gina Raimondo. I, I never thought of her as a pathological liar. And with the McKee people, it's him, by the way. It's him. He plays very fast and loose with the truth and whenever they agree to something you gotta always wonder what's behind it all right it's thursday we're going to talk with attorney tim dodd it's all ahead right here on the john DePetro show it's getting cold already this winter keep your family your employees warm with matthews oil company call them today 401-942-7500 matthews oil company 24-hour emergency service for over four generations they make it easy to keep your home comfortable and safe trusted oil delivery call matthews oil company today 401-942-7500 you can find them online matthewsoil.com matthews oil premier dealer rhode island delivering the highest quality heating fuels at matthews oil they take pride providing reliable affordable service for you and your family celebrating 90 years of service call them now it's going to be a cold winter get that tank filled Call Matthews Oil Company today, 401-942-7500. In an emergency, they offer 24-hour emergency service. Matthews Oil Company, 401-942-7500. Folks, you are listening to the John DePietro Show weekdays. We start at 11. We go until 2. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, DePietro.com. It's time for our legal segment. Joining us right now, he is one of... Rhode Island's top attorneys. He's our legal expert. It's attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, I'd like to start off. We knew this day was coming, but uh, Governor McKee in the state, uh, I think it's wrong-headed, but uh, Governor McKee, he announced on the debate stage, and it looks like the state, even though it was defeated and the judge said it's unconstitutional, Governor McKee is saying, we want those truck tolls. Well, it was inevitable that the appeal would be taken. Huh. It was inevitable that this original scheme would be um, determined by a court to be unconstitutional. Um, the, the challenge for the state at this point is there was a trial. I, I'm not sure if it was a bench trial or with a jury. I believe it was just a bench trial in front of Judge Smith over in the federal court. And Judge Smith made certain findings about constitutionality he made certain findings that this whole scheme was contrary to the Commerce Clause of, you know, federal law. And it just unfairly treats the same class of individuals differently. Only tolling out-of-state trucks seemed unfair now, I'm not looking for Rhode Island truckers to be told um, and, and charge money, but to only do this to out-of-state truckers 
as opposed to in-state truckers seemed inequitable at the very least. When Governor Raimondo put this whole scheme into effect with, you know, approval of the General Assembly, um, the operating hypothesis was that most of the damage to the roads and bridges is due to these heavy trucks uh, utilizing the, the highway system as opposed to passenger vehicles. And it was an easier sell to raise money to just whack out-of-state truck drivers versus in-state truckers and in-state passenger vehicles. Right. It was wrong from the beginning. It raised, I guess, over the life of this program about $100 million. And I'm sure the state was happy to grab that money and utilize it to have crews out there fixing roads and bridges. If the governor had not taken an appeal, he would have been in the position to either leave the gantries inoperative or take the gantries down or determine that it was now time to start tolling all vehicles, in-state, out-of-state, commercial, and passenger. And he couldn't do that, even if he wanted to. There's an election, obviously, coming, and I think that there would be furious public outrage um, when this thing was put into effect. All the politicians said, we're never going to toll passenger vehicles. Um, the governors even said in the course of um, pursuing this appeal that, you know, we're not going to be tolling passenger vehicles. Well... If this thing goes through the court system on appeal and the judgment of um, Judge Smith is affirmed, again, the state is going to be faced with that choice. We need the money. So either they walk away from this income stream or they decide they're going to toll everybody, including passenger vehicles, or they're going to have to come up with a new revenue stream, a new way to tax people, a new way to fund these projects that... Um, apparently do need some attention in terms of the condition of our roads and bridges. Right. But as an appeal goes, John, it's a loser. It's yeah. going to extend the time. No money is going to be collected. All the politicians can you know, have some cover until this thing grinds its way through the appellate process. It'll take, I would think, a year or two before this comes to a conclusion. And Tim Dodd, how, how often um, with, with an appeal, I mean, how many bites at the apple did they get? Or would this be it? Uh, the courts ruled, so this would be, this is it. If they're going to appeal, it's right now. Well, it, we're in the federal system. So if this matter went to the First Circuit and the First Circuit affirmed what Judge Smith had done, technically, the state could appeal from the First Circuit and ask for a hearing before the Supreme Court, which would likely be rejected. Uh, by the same token, if the First Circuit um, reversed and said Judge Smith got it wrong, then the Truck Drivers Association could likewise uh, try to make an appeal to the Supreme Court. That's the only place you can go after the First Circuit if you sure. want to keep trying to appeal. If you want to keep trying to appeal. Now, Tim Dodd, also, what's so interesting is this case that came down. There had been uh, something buzzing about this for a while, but someone even contacted me a while ago. I just questioned the source of it and how accurate it was. But, boy, it sounds like there really was something going on with this 610 connector in, yes. uh, in, in some of the soil. Some real shenanigans. Yeah. This has been looked at for a long time. Apparently, the out-of-state uh, construction company, they're out of Massachusetts, Part of their um, obligation in performing their contract was to bring in a substantial amount of fill that was necessary to, um, for whatever you know, engineering purpose, fill was needed. So you're supposed to bring in clean fill, but this contractor brought in um, material from other construction projects in Massachusetts. Wow. Um, and... Um, what's purportedly um, contaminated material from Pawtucket and Central Falls. And this was made known to the state and to the feds. Now, this was a federally funded program. The money to do this project came from a federal source. So 
when it became evident that bad fill was brought in, either bad fill from Massachusetts and contaminated fill from Central Falls and Pawtucket, the feds went after the contractor and it was determined that one of the supervisors on this project um, doctored documents got people to make false statements to the feds about the source of the fill, the cleanliness of the fill, um, and this blatant misrepresentations. The construction company has agreed to pay a fine, I believe, of a million dollars. And this supervisory individual from the construction company was charged criminally for making false statements to the feds. And these were false statements which apparently were made under oath. You can't lie to the federal government. You can't lie, you know, if you're making, swearing things under oath and making statements that are intended to be relied on, they're blatant lies. Now, he's agreed to plead um, guilty. I believe the maximum sentence on something like this is five year, up to five years in prison up to three years supervised probation thereafter, and up to a $250,000 fine. Is he going to get hit with five years in prison? No. Is he going to get hit with a $250,000 fine? Likely not. But this is likely going to be a case that involves perhaps a small amount of jail and a significant amount of either a suspended sentence or some other form of punishment to set an example. Um, These are the types of cases where lots of things go on with these federal contracts and with construction projects. But when you get caught red-handed, the the system, the federal government likes to make an example to, you know, scare off people from doing similar um, fraudulent things in the future. So this guy will probably get tagged to some degree, but not as much as many of your listeners might think. He might catch a little bit of jail. Tim Dodd, it, it certainly, before we take a break, <clears throat> raises eyebrows that, you know, how often does something like this go on? And is this, is this one of the reasons why sometimes, you know, these road construction projects don't seem to pan out or work effectively? It's because, you know, let's face it, unless you're really trained or there's strict guidelines in place, how, how do we know if someone's not using, you know, a cheaper or, in this case, contaminated form of soil? Well, that's the trick. I mean, a lot of things go on out there. um, But when the wrongdoers are caught and Mm. caught in a very blatant manner, as has happened in this case, you know, the the federal government is going to want to make some hay with this case to get some publicity, to punish the, the, the wrongdoers, Yeah. to number one, punish, and number two, warn people in the future, hey, if you do something like this and you get caught, you know, you're going to get prosecuted and you're going to go to jail. So Mm. this guy, you know, he's going to be the poster child for, you know, fraudulent contract conduct with the federal government. And the Mm. government needs to send that message out loud and clear. Folks, quick break. Much more ahead. Our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd, right here on the John DePietro Show. The next time you have an emergency, head straight to AtMed Urgent Care. Two locations, 1524 Atwood Avenue, Suite 122 in Johnston, or East Greenwich 5750 Post Road. AtMed Urgent Care. Urgent health care facility providing comprehensive outpatient health care to individuals, families, specializing in ambulatory medicine. Diagnostic Treatment Service, AtMed Urgent Care. They provide immunization, school, sports physicals. They're a cost-efficient healthcare alternative to hospital-based emergencies. They're open seven days a week, walk-in routine urgent care, minor surgical, orthopedic and trauma, work-related injuries, physical exams, drug testing, full laboratory services, and with AtMed Urgent Care, they offer mononuclear antibody infusions you someone in your family suffering from covid you want to go straight to atmed urgent care two locations johnston 1524 atwood avenue suite 122 or east greenwich 5750 post road online at atmedurgentcare.net we speak with that legal expert it's attorney tim dodd tim um president trump 
legal woes continue to mount. Uh, we've given his own segment here, but I think it's important. You can begin with anyone you want. Uh, he's got problems with Truth Social, the app he started, but then he has also uh, problems in Georgia. But now there, there seems to be more speculation on potentially a possible indictment with this whole evidence that was presented, um, signed off on, you know, this whole business about what documents he had with Mar-a-Lago. Well, I, I think that uh, President Trump has lots of legal predicaments, and it's yeah. going to take him a long time to work through them all, maybe successfully, maybe not successfully. I'm a little troubled about the Mar-a-Lago um, yeah. publicity that's come out in the last you know, news cycle. Anonymous sources at the um, U.S. Attorney's Office, anonymous attorneys within the department say, we think there's enough evidence to prosecute uh, Donald Trump for obstruction of justice, and it might be something that he could be convicted of. Now, certainly, any time there's any specter that Donald Trump's going to get charged with a crime— um, the media goes crazy. Oh, right. look at this. He's going to get charged. If yep. you really read these news reports and parse the words, it's speculation upon speculation from anonymous sources. Now, do I think that Donald Trump is in the clear? No. Um, but I just think it's troubling that we're not even done with the um, special master looking at the documents which were taken uh, with the um, uh, subpoena, with the search warrant, yeah. um, it's way premature to know any of the real facts. Um, there's speculation that Trump signed certain documents uh, corroborating the false affidavit signed by his attorney that everything had been turned over that needed to be turned over. Um, Trump does have some, um, I guess defenses that he, um, by executive order, if you will, changed the character of the documents that were at Mar-a-Lago. Um, that's a bit of a troubling position for him to take. It's basically all in his head. <laughs> he thought it, so it became reality. That's not going to cut it. There's nothing in writing. And even his attorneys have really not gone down that road so far to say, well, because Trump thought it, because he suggested it, because he said the words, those words made the materials at Mar-a-Lago exempt from going back to the federal government. I don't think that's going to wash. Um, the, the charges that would be brought against President Trump for what is alleged to have gone on during the execution of that search warrant. No president has ever been charged criminally once leaving office with anything similar. Now, will Merrick Garland and his Justice Department have an appetite to bring charges against Trump to keep him from running in 2024 ostensibly? I would think, yes, they will. Uh, if you continue reading all these news reports, some say, oh, it's going to take a long time for him to uh, be charged, if if at all. Others say, oh, no, he's going to get indicted by Christmas. Um, I don't think he's going to be uh, charged, if at all, this calendar year. Um, certainly dragging this thing out, um, assuming there's a political motivation, the longer you drag this thing out with out filing charges, but suggesting that charges are coming, the more you handicap his ability to either raise money, campaign for others, or decide to run. And that's the tricky bit for um, Merrick Garland, is to the extent the public might see this as a politically motivated prosecution to keep this guy from running for president again, um, whether it's true or whether it's perception, um, it's a very bad um, um, precedent to set. It, it's, it's, it's really jarring that this could be happening for political purposes. What, what about this defamation case, Tim Dodd? I mean, it's something he can't 
blow off of this woman that made these accusations. Is that, are we just talking that this isn't, it's mine to say, there's no, I don't believe criminal charges here. It's all, it's all about a money settlement. There's no criminal charges. The allegations are that back in the seventies that Donald Trump was um, in the presence of this woman um, who I guess was, yes, Bergdorf Goodman's. And the woman was apparently a well-known columnist for a nationally uh, published magazine. Yeah. And, Somehow he asks her, she says, he says, can you try on this lingerie? I want to see how it looks. I'm thinking of buying it for somebody. She accommodates him, apparently. And then he goes into the dressing room, per her allegations, and he rapes her, per her allegations. This all comes out. Donald Trump says, probably, you know, not really thinking before speaking. No, that's just a big lie. She's not my type. And he goes on to say other things, all saying this is a lie, that she's making it up and that, you know, she's not my type. She, in response to that, sues him for defamation, Mm. saying that what he held her up to public ridicule and scorn. He defamed her and he said things about her which he knew or should know were not true, Mm. i.e. she's saying, well, Donald knows that these things did happen and I was telling the truth. And by saying that I'm lying, he's defaming me. So she's been attempting to get uh, President Trump's deposition for quite some time. There's been a lot of legal wrangling about whether or not um, President Trump has to sit this deposition. He was ordered to sit for a deposition Um, The complainant was supposed to be deposed, I believe, last week. He's going to be deposed this week. And the allegation, well, the allegation is that he defamed her. So the questioning will be, I'm sure, a lot about the circumstances of her allegations of rape, um, his denial of any participation in that, and the things that he has said about her publicly and as he has been saying these things, did he have a factual basis to say them? Did he say them recklessly or did he say them knowing that what he was saying was truthful? Among other things, John, that um, President Trump has said is, he's an, I never even met this woman. I don't know her. I don't know what we're talking about. And then her side comes up with pictures showing them together at some fundraising event. Ooh. So, you know, yeah. so that creates problems for the president in terms of getting through a deposition. And as we've seen with Donald Trump as of late, um, if I was his attorney defending this deposition, I'd be holding my breath because he Mm. seems to be more of a loose cannon than ever. And you really can't coach somebody what to say in a depot. They're going to say what they're going to say. There's, it's not like you can give them, a script they're going to say right. what they're going to say it doesn't seem to be working to his benefit to no to have this approach to put it mildly folks quick break much more ahead legal expert attorney tim dodd right here on the john DePietro show propane plus in rhode island for all your propane needs call them 401-885-4209 in massachusetts you can reach them at 508 508- Two five two thirty three fifty nine propane heating and cooling it's propane plus their team's been there three generations they're available 24 7 for service and delivery and they plan on serving you for a long time to come they offer online billing ability to schedule a service delivery at the click of a button and remember all customers receive a free safety inspection on their equipment it's propane plus and remember with propane it's affordable sustainable equitable good for the environment and now it's renewable call propane plus today at 401-885-4209 in massachusetts call them at 508-252-3359 they're very easy to navigate website it's propaneplus.com propane plus call them 401-885-4209 the coincident in 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick, Rhode Island tradition since 1977. Delicious food, great atmosphere, whether it's lunch or dinner 
or drinks in the lounge. They can also accommodate large groups. A great meal, a feast, is waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. Stop it and see them all year round. 226 Coesed Avenue in West Warwick. They're waiting for you at the Coesed Inn. We're speaking with our legal expert, it's attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, this is interesting in Providence. Now, you have um, some real progressives, even a socialist, I believe, taking over the city council. And what about this business? They're going to they're starting to announce they don't they, they obviously don't you know like the situation around Providence College. I don't know if Pete Brown's the same way, but they've you know this started years ago. I even know the guy that one of the guys that started it where they started buying up these triple deckers and they'd fix them up and they had them very organized and rent them out to the students and they'd have flags and new kitchens and paint jobs and the houses at different names. And now the city council comes along and says that they want to pass this provision i think they're saying that no more than three students can can live together we we've heard about this type of thing in in uh you know south kingstown narragansett against the uri students but i don't believe or recall we've heard this type of thing going towards some of the providence students um actually there's Narragansett has been dealing with the same type of ordinance right. to limit the number of students who can occupy the same residential well, space, yeah. whether it's a house or an apartment or what have you. And Narragansett virtually copied the language from Providence. There was a case, I think it was in 2018 in Providence, about limiting the number of students who could live together. I thought it was a crazy ordinance. Um, the Superior Court judge who heard it said, this makes no sense to me, but found that it was, was legal and appropriate. An appeal was taken to our Rhode Island Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court upheld the Superior Court judge's ruling. So this has gone through the courts before, and when it went through the courts, I think it was 2018, that type of ordinance was upheld. What's happening now would expand the language to um, encompass more types of dwellings around the city. I see. And, which I find disturbing, let's assume you're three students and you're renting an apartment, but you hold yourself out as not students. I'm making up a scenario. Sure. You say, well, I'm a, I'm a truck driver and I'm a landscaper and I'm yeah. something else. But actually, you're all, you're all students. If it's found out that these students lied to get the apartment and there's four students living in an apartment lying about their status, that it would be incumbent for the landlord and or the city to report the misrepresentations made by these young, young adults to the college where they go so that appropriate disciplinary action wow. can be taken. I think that really goes beyond the pale. Yeah. What business is it you know, to report back to the college about what students are doing off campus on their personal time regarding a contractual matter? Um, you know, the, the city is just looking for the college to be another source of sanction or penalty to uh, motivate students not to do these things. I know this has been upheld by our Supreme Court, John, but it, it just seems wrong. Yeah. So you can't, you can't have more than three students rent an apartment, but I guess you can have four friends who are not students rent an apartment right i guess you could have four nuns rent yeah. an apartment sure. but you can't have four students rent an apartment right how is that feel? Uh, four co-workers whatever four co-workers yeah. for whatever what's what is so unique about the status of being a student that you should be penalized now I'm sure a lot of your listeners live in neighborhoods around Providence near PC near Brown where it's chaos with what goes on at certain times of the year with these streets and these neighborhoods that have a lot of student renters. There's other ordinances on the books, um, noise ordinance, um, different ordinances that the city is just not necessarily enforcing the laws that are on the books. 
which are um, there to control or influence uh, the behavior of the renting population. Mm. It's all, for all these, you know, uh, per, quote unquote, progressive uh, members of the Providence uh, City Council. If this goes into effect, and I think it's a big if, it's going to drive up rental prices because you're going. To, if I'm a landlord with five bedrooms and I can't rent to five students, I can only rent to three students. Guess what? Rental prices are going up. Right. It's going to further restrict the supply of available apartments. It's going to disproportionately affect, you know, students who might be from a lower socioeconomic situation. Um, it just seems the wrong approach in the yeah. wrong. It's a solution that doesn't solve a problem. Right. And I think, and I think it's unconstitutional. I don't know what our Supreme court would think. And I would defer to them, the five justices of our Supreme court, but it seems to me to be a blatantly unconstitutional. Um, uh, it's an equal protection argument. Sure. Students are going to be treated differently than anyone other than a student. Folks, mm -hmm. so suit with our legal expert, attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, Kanye West is in the news. He was uh, seen palling around with Candace Owens, the, went to a fashion show of some kind and she has a film out and it has to do with uh, George Floyd with what happened in Minneapolis. So um, Kanye West is then appearing on, I think it was like a video or a podcast or something. And he starts talking about, see, he, he saw it in the movie. So he, she either told him about it, watched it, maybe whatever, but he starts saying, and he starts talking about George Floyd and starts saying that he had enough fentanyl in his system to, to kill two people. So now the, there has been allegations of drug use. He's, he's basically repeating what he saw in, in this film that was made, uh, though low, low budget. And now the family of George Floyd is suing Kanye West for 250 million. I, I'm not sure. Where does that come in? I mean, if you go and you see something and it's a film and then you're talking about it, I, I don't, well, anyway, I want to get your thoughts on this lawsuit by George Floyd's family against Kanye West. Well, the the lawyers for um, George Floyd's family got what they wanted because the headline is the 250 million number in what their prayer for damages is. That's a headline that creates yep. a buzz that's newsworthy. Right. And that's what they want. The problem with that lawsuit in part is and I'm not exactly certain what Kanye West had to say. If he was recapping points that were made in a film, right. then, it's, then he's reporting on what he saw. Well, that's one thing. But let's assume he says, I've listened to the entire case, and he, George Floyd was not murdered. In fact, he died of a fentanyl overdose. Let's assume he said that without any other context. Well, you can't defame and you can't slander a person who is deceased. So all of this, you know, it's a great headline, 250 million, ooh, big deal. But you can't sue for defamation or for slander or for libel. You can't libel a dead person. You can't slander a dead person. George Floyd is no longer around to feel the impact, unfortunately, of um, these things that might be misstatements. What can occur is if George Floyd's family is upset by these apparently false statements about how, what was the source of George Floyd's death? Right. We have a, we have a jury saying that this, um, these cops, you know, in different manifestations, um, killed George Floyd. Kanye saying they didn't, the cops didn't do it, the fentanyl did it. Now, if George Floyd has a child who says, I'm very upset by this, um, you know, in what it does to that, that child's life or to if George Floyd's got siblings or parents, they may have a cause of action. But 
the estate of George Floyd would not have a cause of action. And it could be something similar. Let's, let's compare it to Sandy Hook. You know, you had Alex Jones making all these allegations, not about the deceased children, but about the conduct of the parents who are right. still alive. So those parents would have a cause of action because they were the people who were the subject of the defaming statements and they suffered the consequence because they are alive and they have sensation and they went through all of the emotional and psychological torture that Alex Jones brought upon them. So if George Floyd's family can demonstrate a similar you know, hellacious course of conduct, they might have a more significant case against Kanye, but I'm not sure the economic value of this case, and it's clearly never going to be a $250 million case. That's just a headline. That's not reality. Tim Dodd, this Champlin's case from Black Island that has been going on for a very long time, two questions. One, how did it take so long to reach a verdict, and what are we to make of the verdict? Well, (laughs) this has had a very, very tortured uh, history. It started out before CRMC because it was a request by Champlins to expand their marina uh, operations. They were opposed by largely environmentalists and neighbors who didn't want to see this expansion of the marina. That went for years through the the, uh, CRMC process. At the conclusion, um, the loser of that decision before CRMC um, appeals to the um, Superior Court. It goes, I believe, to trial there. And the loser there appealed to the Supreme Court. That can take years and years and years. What then happened is while the case was, I believe, on appeal at the Supreme Court, some of the parties agreed to take this to mediation, which resulted in an MOU, which is short for a Memorandum of Understanding. The only problem was that this mediation, um, which was conducted by well-regarded attorneys, a well-regarded mediator, um, the, the opponents of this expansion were not properly represented. So this memorandum of understanding comes out and they're like, wait, what? We weren't, we weren't involved in this. What are you doing? So the Supreme Court, you know, rejected the MOU as being improper for a number of reasons, including that you're not supposed to be doing private mediations while the case is on appeal to the Supreme Court and simply found that um, the arguments of the opponents to this expansion were correct on the facts and correct on the law. So it brings, I think this has been in the system for like 23 years. Yeah. And it's finally over. Mm. Um, it, it appears that this was the correct result. Um, you know, the proponents of this expansion um, did everything you could do to try to get it their way. And that's good lawyering, but it sometimes. You know, it's lawyering that might have gone right up to the line. I'm not suggesting sure. anything in, improper, but um, this was a hard, hard-fought case on both Ooh. sides. Um, and there'll be a lot of hurt feelings and unhappy people with the result. And on the other side, there's going to be people who are thrilled. It's one of those cases. Tim Dodd, finally, uh, I received an email from someone very surprised at this tragic story. This man from Providence, Rhode Island, uh, was in Milwaukee, I believe, and then something happened with a, a drawbridge. But although they're saying no charges are being filed, it, it, I mean, again, it's it's no, you can't bring the person back, but it doesn't mean that, that they couldn't maybe take action uh, in some kind of a civil case. But, but the fact, you know, some people were expecting that because there was maybe some kind of an error that there might be some kind of charges brought in this case. Well, yeah, this is a tragic case where um, the gentleman, I I guess, was looking at his um, 
smartphone and I think he had a hearing issue and didn't realize that there was, you know, an alarm or a warning that the drawbridge was about to go up. He's on the drawbridge and now it's going up and, you know, he, he, he tried to hang on and couldn't hang on. And as the thing was almost fully, you know, in the upright position, um, lost his grip, fell and unfortunately perished. Now, the only thing that we've heard is there will not be any criminal charges. So all that means is whoever pushed the button to open that bridge or whoever was supposed to be looking to make sure there was no one on the bridge, let's say, or if there was any surveillance equipment that should have been looked at to see if there was anyone or anything that shouldn't have been on the bridge at the time um, the drawbridge was lifted, simply no criminal charges you know there'll be civil charges. Yeah. So on the same set of facts, if you can't show beyond a reasonable doubt that criminal conduct occurred, you may be able to show from a civil standard that there was negligence and have a legitimate claim for money damages. And I'm sure that's the direction this will go. Mm. Folks, again, he is our legal expert. It is attorney Tim Dodd. Tim, excellent job as always. And we will talk to you again. Thanks, John. Take care. This is the perfect time of year to have some paving done for your home, residential, commercial, seal coating and patios. Make it letter J, J Perry Paving. They provide high quality, fair pricing, exceptional service. Call them today for a free estimate, 401-732-1730. The next couple of months, get your driveway prepared for wintertime. Call J Perry Paving today for a free quote, 401-732-1730. Licensed and insured contracting company committed to meeting their clients' needs no matter how big or how small. Whether it's a brand new paving project or just a cracked driveway that needs to be refreshed. Call J. Perry Paving today. Affordable, smooth, safe to drive on, aesthetically appealing. Remember, even asphalt can be recycled, reused. Call them for a free quote. Letter J. J. Perry Paving. Look for them on Facebook and call 401-732-1730. Remember, no one's better to veterans than J. Perry Paving. Call them today, 401-732-1730. High quality, fair pricing, exceptional service, free estimate, J. Perry Paving, 401-732-1730. Remain healthy. Stop in and see Marie at It's My Health, 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. You can also look for her on Facebook, but call her 401 401- 305-3585. You know the building. It's that historic white church diagonally across from Davenport Restaurant. It's my health. What do you find inside? Well, first of all, great service, great selection, vitamins, herbal remedies from trusted companies, local products like ICE, honey, maple syrup, beef fresh gum, over 250 bulk herbs, teas, and spices, plus hemp and CBD products, natural skin care, it's my health. Pop in and see Marie. 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. There's things for your pets. There's things for your children. There's things for your health. Stay healthy at It's My Health. 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. Again, call Marie. 401-305-3585. Diagonally across from Davenport Restaurant.